Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. All right, the NHL entry draft is coming up, then free agency, then dev camp, then the summer really starts going. So before all that kicks off, we're going to just take one last look at uh, last season, get caught up on what's happened so far this uh, offseason to join me. Sorry, joining me now to do that, Zach Dooley. How are you doing, Zach? Jesse, doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Good. Uh, the big news I think that we probably have to cover is that Marco Sturm was named head coach of the Ontario Reign. Mm-hmm. He has served as an assistant coach for the LA Kings since midway through the 2018-19 season. This will be his first head, professional head coaching experience in a, in a North American yeah. league. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an opportunity to, to talk to Marco Sturm and Rich Seeley, general manager of the Ontario Reign. It sounds like not much else will change in Ontario. Sounds like it's Marco Sturm as the head coach, assistant coaches Chris Height, Craig Johnson will remain on as will Brad Schuler, video coach, and Matt Millar, the goaltending coach. So status quo, yep. um, because none of those people had their titles changed last year, even though their responsibilities you know, grew and evolved um, after the, the midseason uh, shakeup that, that went on there. So definitely an interesting one. Um, you see Marco Sturm go from an NHL assistant job to an AHL head coach job. Some would probably view that as a promotion. Some, not a demotion, but a lateral move, maybe mm-hmm. on the worst case. Um it's a down, downgrade in league, but an upgrade in responsibilities. Um, and it certainly gave us some something to talk about last week when it was maybe a little bit dead. Yeah, and I'm, even as I'm about to say the word, I'm, I don't want to say it. <laughs> I'm very curious. Yeah, there you go. Um, how it's going to work out. Because, yep. uh, you know, Chris Height and Craig Johnson were handed an, an unenviable job yep. last season um, of – sort of splitting duties as head coach while Mm -hmm. also having to maintain their duties as assistant coach. It was a weird season. Obviously injuries racked the Kings roster, which caused the rain roster to be totally changed. I think they did a great job. It was a Mm -hmm. fun season in Ontario. It ended poorly, Mm -hmm. but the regular season was great. Yep. And like I said, super curious to see now with a new voice in as head coach, Mm -hmm. but we heard from Tom McClellan all year all of the organizational through lines that that they relied on, you know, the communication, the style of play, all mm-hmm. of none of that's changing. And in fact, it potentially could be strengthened with a guy who served as Todd McClellan's assistant for three years. No one could know the system better, right? right. Like, and that's a guy who's worked to implement that system in LA. And now he can apply those things to Ontario, which is certainly a plus. There will be no communication issues because Marco Sturm is going to know the terminology, the structure, the systems, 
inside out. I remember I, I went back and I looked at Marco Sturm's first interview when he was hired and he used the term structure in his first one. He's a system and structure guy. And this was pre Todd McClellan. This wasn't even when Todd McClellan was on staff yet. So he, he talked about himself as being a systems oriented guy, a structure oriented guy. So to have that voice um, who knows the system, who knows the structure, he knows the organization. That's certainly a really big plus for everybody. And I'm going to, I don't want to dwell on it, but I'm going to address the power play issue mm -hmm. because Marco Sturm addressed it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, uh, I thought good for him, but also it was, a, uh, it made me wince when he said sort of offhandedly, you can blame me for the power play if you want. Uh, the Kings power play that is, which was not successful this year. Right. I've gone back and sort of looked at the team's power play percentage over the last 20 years. And it was actually worse than I thought it was. Um, it was never, it was never the top power play in the league. Yeah, you know, there were a few years what, where they were eighth to 10th. I did probably some similar research. Yeah. And, and, and that I knew, yeah. but I always, I always, whenever people would say like, wow, the power play has been terrible for X amount of years, I'd roll my eyes and I go like, oh, it's not that bad. Come on. It, act it actually kind of is. Um, this it's, not, it's not like it went from this elite unit right. to a, a struggling unit the day Marco Sturm was hired, right? Like The, like the power play this year clicked at a higher percentage rate than it did in 2013-14. Yeah. Like that's in, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that detail blew my eyebrows back. Yeah. And as we heard all season long from people, Todd, Mc you know, listen, it's a complicated... Nothing in life is as simple as you want to make it for the purposes of conversation. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's not like, well, this coach is in charge of the penalty kill. That coach is in charge of the power play. And if either one falter, it is that per singular person's fault. So, right. And there, there's it's a group. It's right. a group solution. It's a group success and it's a group failure. Yeah. And that's kind of what Marco Sturm said. And I think that. Todd McClellan would bear a lot of the responsibility on himself. You know, the players bear some responsibility on themselves. And I'm sure that Marco bears some on himself as well. But it's never one thing or one person, right? Because if it was always just one thing to fix something, you would just do it and it would be fixed. Yeah. Um, personnel shifted in and out. The system and the approach on the power play clearly changed different points in the year. It's not like they tried to do the same thing for 82 games. It didn't work either way. So there's a lot of factors there. It was an interesting exchange for sure. Um, but to just say, oh, well, the power play in L.A. is going to be excellent next year. Yeah, right. And the power play in Ontario is going to suck because of one guy is, is pretty absurd. Yeah. yeah, particularly when there is one guy in Ontario who will go a long way, I would suspect, regardless of who the coach is, to making the mm -hmm. Ontario power play quite Terrific good. transition right there. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, and that is TJ Tynan, yeah. who also uh, will be returning to Ontario. He signed a two-year contract well, extension. Well, we return to the organization. Yes, thank you. We'll He'll return, return to the organization. TJ yeah. um, Tynan, back-to-back AHL MVP. Mm -hmm. And I received a couple texts, a couple phone calls from people confused about the contract mm -hmm. and i'm going to tell you what i think the contract means okay and you can tell me if you agree or disagree sure so tj tynan signed a two-year contract and uh the first year is what's known as a two-way contract meaning yeah. if he plays in the nhl he gets paid a certain amount of money and if he plays in the ahl he gets paid a different less aka money. the contract that the nhl video game series has created right. the <laughs> biggest misconception about yes, correct totally of correct. anything yeah yeah and then in the second year of the contract, regardless of where he plays, mm -hmm. he will receive the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. 
This is very similar to the excuse me, very similar to the deal that Cal Peterson signed uh, three years ago, where the first two years were two way and mm-hmm. the third year was a one way deal. Yeah, and I believe that the purpose of that, the structure of that contract, is to disincentivize other teams from claiming TJ Tynan on waivers if and when the Kings, uh, you know, assign him to Ontario, essentially. Mm -hmm. He will be given every opportunity, just like every player is, to make the Kings team. Mm -hmm. But he's the back-to-back AHL MVP. He's an incredible player at the AHL level. We heard from Alex Turcott and Jordan Mm -hmm. Spence and other young players how important players like TJ Tynan specifically were to building the culture and creating the, the, the mood in the locker room. So he's an incredible asset from that perspective. And signing that deal not only rewards him financially, but like I said, also, I believe, makes it less likely that another team would claim him off of waivers in an attempt to pad their own minor league roster. Potentially, right? But Because if they keep claimed him on waivers, they have to keep him at the NHL level. Correct. They can't just send him you know, to the AHL. Because from a, a dollars and cents standpoint... It's really not much it's difference, not. you know, for the the team paying it. You're talking, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars difference between a very aggressive two way. It wasn't, you know, a a million to a hundred thousand split. Right. It was a very close um, combination of salaries, and then the second year is a one way. But the actual dollars and cents isn't huge. Potentially, that second year is one, like you said, that could make him less friendly in terms of waivers because. You have to you have to want this player as an NHL player to claim him right. on waivers. Otherwise, you know the Kings can just take him back. Um, TJ Tynan has provided a lot of value to a lot of different AHL teams um, in his career. He's proven he can hang at the NHL level, but hasn't yet stuck at the NHL level. So you might be right to an extent. Um, and I think that the the actual money paid out shows that it's negligible for an NHL franchise, you know, to pay it's under the limit of an, a contract that would count against your cap if it's sent to the AHL. Um, so from that standpoint, you might be right. It might just be maybe a mechanism to one reward a player with a two year deal worth of security and a guaranteed, you know, amount that he'll make, um, which is going to be very high for the AHL level um, for a player who is the best player in the AHL. Th- that I think is, is the real kicker. So he, if he plays in the AHL, he'll make $500,000, which mm-hmm. is a lot for yep. the AHL. Yeah. And if he plays in the NHL the first year, yep. he'll make $800,000. So you're right. In the grand scheme of yep. things, it's $300,000, which sounds right. It's which actually is, less, um, you know, that's a the, life the changer for me. But. <laughs> right, right. But for an NHL team, like yeah, it's that's nothing. surrounding air almost. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's not a ton from a mm-hmm. actual money paid out standpoint. And it's actually even less of a difference because he has a guarantee in the first year that guarantees him more than the 500000 And I think his second year deal is less. So it's, yeah. it's maybe 250000 difference on an 82 million dollar payroll it's it's not that big a deal but for him let's say he never plays another game in the nhl during Mm -hmm. this two-year stretch it's 1.2 million dollars yeah guaranteed guaranteed money locked in and if he does play in the nhl that can increase up to 1.5 um but the 500,000 this year and the 775 next year to your point if a team did want to claim him they would that's a decision on their part. We want this play. It's not like, yeah. oh, it'd be kind of nice to have the back to back. It's like, no, no, right. no. We want this player. The Kings want this player. Yeah. And they and you know, I was wondering to myself all season long, 
what is the price of keeping a player like that in Ontario mm-hmm. uh, or in the organization? Excuse yeah. me, because I don't want to make it sound like he's not going to be right. given a chance. Right. He will absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there you go. That's the price. Yeah, you know, one point two seven five million dollars, mm-hmm. which is on the higher end. Like I, I follow AHL deals, mm-hmm. and I worked in that league, and it's certainly on the higher end of what you'd get on either a very high level AHL only deal or on a two way NHL deal for a player who is he, he's the bar, right? He is the best player in the AHL. Yeah. And and it's not really close. Um, if you win the MVP two times in a row, if you fall one assist shy of the modern day record for assists in a season, like he is that good. Um, and like you said, that, that establishes what the, the cost of that player is. And from an organizational standpoint, giving him that second year, it's not that big of a deal of not that big of a commitment, but like you said, for the player gives him some excellent security um, in shows that he wants to play for LA slash Ontario. And that's a, a good win for the organization as well. And backtracking when we talk about structure mm-hmm. and all, you know, and all of the things there's, there is added value in having good players mm-hmm. who are familiar with every facet of how the organization wants to play rather than having to bring in a new face. Right. That's mm-hmm. you have TJ Tynan, whether it's, yep. you know, if Martin Chromiak's going to come in and play his first season in Ontario this year or a, you know, maybe a player they take in the draft who's eligible to play or, or I, you know, I can't think of any players off the top of my head who might be making their um, AHL debut this year. But mm-hmm. guys like Andre Lee or Hellenius who, yep. you know, debuted at the end of last season who are looking to play the bulk of their first season. So much better to have a veteran, a respected yep. veteran, a successful veteran who can play the special teams, play the five on five, know the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's not the only player that signed a contract like that. Jacob Mouvrari mm-hmm. also signed a two-year deal, yep. same structure, different, uh, you know, compensation, but first year of the deal is two-way. Second year of the deal is a one-way contract, meaning that Jacob Mouvrari, mm-hmm. I think will be given a very serious look mm-hmm. at an opportunity to play the left side of the Kings defense. Which is awesome because I think that he was a a good success story last year, Mm -hmm. Um, a guy who came up and rarely did he hurt the Kings, right? Like he, I feel like a lot of times when you try, people try to bring a player down by emphasizing his his faults, which I guess with him would be his skating. Um, But if you look at his strengths, it's it's just about everything else. Like his hockey sense is off the charts. He can move the puck well, Um, you know, in the role that he's, meant for at this stage in his career, which is a third pairing role. He was very solid. He was steady. And if the Kings went into next year with Moverari as your sixth or your seventh defenseman, no problems with that because he's proven that he can play that role and handle that role. There's a, there's an issue that I like to raise and you like to tease me for bringing it up. And okay. I've come up with a yet another analogy. Is it that the Kings have too many contracts? No. Oh, okay. That's the usual. One. But it's very close to it. Okay. What do we got? <laughs> it's that there is a 50 contract limit. Mm-hmm. The Kings don't have too many contracts. And and in the past, you've teased me about being the only person who cares about it. And like I said, I've come up with an analogy for how I think about it. Okay. Because I don't care about it, per se. I well, think you do. I Well, when you're driving on the freeway. Yeah. Have you ever crashed into the median that separates the northbound and the southbound lanes? Uh, not personally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're aware that it exists. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you're flying down in the left-hand lane at 90 miles an hour in a rush somewhere and it's raining, mm-hmm. you're very aware that it exists. Mm-hmm. That's the 50 contract limit to me. I'm not planning on running into it. I don't expect to ever run into it. But it's there. And when you make deals like the Muvarari and the Tynan deal... Um, you just 
I, I like personally like to be aware of how many lanes closer to that limit I'm getting. Now, presently, the Kings have 34 players under contract. It's a lot of space mm-hmm. to wiggle with. That doesn't include Mikey Anderson, Sean Dersey, Adrian Kempe, Jared Anderson Dolan, Carl Grundstrom, and Brennan Lemieux. There's 40. Yeah, and I'm leaving out Velarde, Anderson, and then Frederick Allard, Johan Sodergren, you know. Even with that, there's 44. Yeah, so still plenty of room. But just saying, it's out there, and I'm I'm paying attention to it. That's all. If I'm driving in the right lane, <laughs> the last thing on my sure. mind is sure. the median six lanes over. Yeah. I'm uh, just saying the dra- you know. But hey, I can't I can't get real high. If you want to if you yeah. want to sit in the right lane for 80 miles and, and think I, about the left hand median, I should point out that it do- that number does include Brant Clark, Francesco Pinelli, and Martin Kromiak. Uh, Brant Clark and Martin Kromiak may factor into it. I would not expect Fr- uh, Francesco Pinelli. Mm-hmm. So we're, I guess we're really looking at 33 with a question mark on Brand Clark, possibly 32. Um, I don't know. I haven't verified this, but I believe it's true. It sounds like Vladimir Kachev will be returning to the KHL. It's all on Twitter. Um, yeah. And from my experience, anything on the Internet is true. Definitely. Um, Definitely. But it sounded like, uh, was it Avangard Omsk? Yeah. Was the team. Um, I don't know if I've seen it from like an actual... Like, oh, the team tweeted they signed him. But, yeah, I read that over the weekend. Um, you look at a player who spent the majority of the season in the AHL. Um, maybe from that perspective, it wouldn't be surprising were he to want to go back. Probably a more lucrative financial deal. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like it is true, but haven't seen the tweet from the team yeah. saying that they've signed him. Although, I, I don't know how active KHL social media is when it comes to announcing transactions. It's true. I've never thought to pay attention. No, I haven't either. (laughs) Um, But if we're operating under that assumption, I mean, good luck to the player, very skilled player. Um, Someone who was a really fun story for the first month of the year when he kind of made the team out of camp out of nowhere. Um, Seemed to be a really, really cool thing. Cause one of our questions at the beginning of the year, I think was just, what an un- what what an unknown that he was, right? Mm-hmm. So that that was cool. Um, and I guess from see how he does over there, but uh, an interesting contract. A guy with no risk when he was signed, right? Potential of high upside. Played more NHL games than a lot of people might have thought that he would. So good on him. And if if he is indeed going overseas, then best of luck to him. So that puts us uh, what two weeks away from the draft, I guess. Um, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be two, on the nose, yeah, right? two weeks, yeah. yeah. Um, last year, the Arvidsson trade happened before the draft, right? Uh, yes. I think it was like a week before. But the draft like was that. way later. That's true. That's yes. a good point. Yeah. This, yeah. Did, we're sort of did. slowly getting back to the normal yep. schedule. And then of course the world junior championships yep. is happening yep. in August. By next year. Yeah, should exactly. Should be just about right on schedule. Oh, this is a total non sequitur, but I remember it was a couple of weeks after the shutdown in 2020. And somebody said it'll be October 2022 before we, we meaning mm-hmm. the hockey, the NHL yeah. biome, will be back to normal. Mm-hmm. And I remember rolling my eyes and thinking, yeah. that's insane. October 20, but here well, we in are. in fairness, this year's only off because of the Olympics. Yeah. Right? Like, Well, there, yeah, there was taxi squads. There were games mm-hmm. rescheduled. Yeah. WJ, but like the calendar back. was only. Yeah, it's only like, a week or two. Draft off. would be on its normal timeline yeah. had it that's not true. been for that's true. You know, the three-week break. But yeah. that's a great point of this wasn't a fully normal year by any means. Yeah. 
So it's actually close, a, but not. Yeah, but not not there. Yeah, definitely but, not there. But we're scheduled to start in early October. Mm-hmm. So yep. back camp back on schedule, yeah, and you back to normal from there. Well, not, again, we yeah. don't have any wood in this room. Yeah, but <laughs> actually, are there any sticks? Yeah, here, no, that's, uh, it's composite. Even the yeah, even the, the only, all right. The only we'll, piece, we'll find some wood. The only thing we'll not in this in. room is a wooden hockey stick. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I've got one down the hallway uh, <laughs> in the uh, in the room. Um, so anyway, the draft coming up, then development camp. Which, mm-hmm. as far as I know, is open to the public. Usually is correct. Yeah. Uh, in seems, the past, there's usually like, like a more of an organized scrimmage type event. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't seen a schedule really for development camp, but timeline's usually pretty pretty constant. Week after the draft, um, cool event that is usually open, you know, to the public at least for portions. Yeah, and I will say this because some people reached out to me and asked me about it. Um, depending on who you are mm-hmm. as a person, and I can't answer that for you. Yeah. Dev camp can either be super exciting and fun yeah. or insanely boring. Yep. So <laughs> if you're interested at all in coming out, understand that not much happens in the as far as like viewing excitement. It's a lot of drills. Yeah. It's a lot of if you like to come and watch practice, yeah. You'll probably like the concept of development camp. Mm-hmm. Um the coolest part of it is that it's the only time a year when all of your prospects are eligible to come right um, because rookie camp and tournament don't include college players it's right after you add players from the draft so it's the only time of the year when all of those players can be in the same spot at the same time from that perspective it's cool from the fact that there's usually some scrimmage elements to it that's cool from mm-hmm. the fact that there are kings alums who are members of the development team on the ice around that's cool too but if you don't like watching a practice setting you will likely be bored. Yeah. And there's also a, a number of players who will be invited. Yes. Who are playing for contracts. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Matt Luff is an example of one of those players who came, was an invite to development camp and I think earned himself a contract. Before my time, but I yeah. I think you're right. Um, it was either development camp or rookie camp or both. But he, he, was, it was, both. he was a camp invite yeah. of some kind. Uh, you know what? I'm going to... No, I'm not going to look for it right now. But if you search my timeline for I like Matt Luff, I think you can find one. There you go. The date of that tweet should tell you whether, you whether or not it was Dev Camp or Rookie Camp. But anyway. Like, but free college free agents will yeah. come mm-hmm. um, and either try to impress or get their feet wet in this kind of setting. You'll, you've will you seen it before for sure, and I'm sure you'll see it again. Yeah. And then uh, free agency begins in the middle of development camp. So what a it, week. Yeah. Yeah. Between July 7th and July 17th this roster has an opportunity to mm-hmm. really make some changes. Yeah. Um, so it'll be a fascinating period. Anything else you're particularly lo- looking forward to? Um, I'm not looking forward to the day when free agency and development camp are going on at the same time. Yeah. You'll be busy. And we have to allocate our resources <laughs> yeah. very efficiently. Mm-hmm. Not looking forward to that. But other than that, it'll, it'll be cool. I haven't been to a development camp since 2019 mm-hmm. um, was away during last year's. And it is a cool opportunity to meet some of these prospects face to face. I'm very excited for the draft because it's the first one again that I've been oh, to. Oh, yeah, in you're person. going. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that'll be very fun. Um, last two have been virtual. So it'll be a very different experience to see, experience these events live and kind of see how it differs from the virtual part, um, which will be pretty cool. Um, but I will say, you, you have the schedule down, as you always do. Hmm. So I don't think you've missed anything that I'm necessarily looking forward to i mean other than the buyout window which i don't anticipate the kings participating yeah, in so. i don't either maybe maybe there's an opportunity for an, 
a free agent that would make sense to come from that buyout window. But other than that, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't see it yeah. from a King's point of view. Um, I suppose the uh, Stanley Cup final will wrap up um, yep. soon. Any thoughts on the Avs versus the, the Ning? Avs versus the Ning. I, I think Colorado is a better team. I think they're the best team I've seen play this year from watching all the teams around the league. And that's no disrespect to a really, really good team yeah. in Tampa Bay. Um, I would have said at the beginning, I would have thought Colorado would win the series. I still think that they will, despite, I guess, what would now be two, a game ago's setback from when we recorded this. But um, hopefully a couple of these games tighten up a little bit. Yeah, so that's, uh, like my, game one. That, that's been my biggest takeaway from watching Colorado this offseason is I think the expression I used was they have a tendency to play with their food. Um. <laughs> And if they win, I think it'll be fascinating. Because I don't want to like I don't want to take anything away from what they're doing. Right? They're mm-hmm. phenomenally talented. They're a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. McCarr is amazing. McKinnon's amazing. Mm-hmm. Landis Cog, Rhett, like everybody knows the names. But if they win, I think they'll be the most carefree champion in a while, and I'm. Carefree is a word that I'm not sure I love, but I don't want to use a more... It's just you think of playoff hockey as being 2-1 hockey. Yeah. And the Avalanche are playing the exact same way that they played in the regular season, and they're finding success. They're who I think a lot of people thought Florida was. Exactly. Yeah, they're, I was just going to say, yeah. they're doing what Florida didn't do, which was like right. carry over, just aggressively <laughs> yeah. scoring. And they're beating Tampa Bay, which Florida also I think I saw it was do. like, they're the first team in like 40 years to have four seven or more goal performances in the mm. playoffs. I don't remember the exact stat, but it was on the broadcast. Yeah. And it was like, they're just, they're exactly who they were. And they've lost three games over four series. And I've, I've seen a lot of comments. Uh, I saw it, uh, I can't remember if it was yesterday or today, but the gist of the comment was something like, man, Makar is amazing, but is he allergic to playing defense? Or, or sometimes he can look like he's allergic to playing defense. And I thought, what a funny comment because there was a shift. Oh, here it is. Yeah, is McCarr the smartest hockey player ever? He's allergic to going offsides. That's not the tweet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a shift. Uh, I think it was against the Oilers. And I was watching McKinnon. Mm-hmm. And he had an opportunity to make, I guess, what a coach would call like a safe play. You know, yeah. like dump it in, make a quick chip play and get back. Yeah. But he didn't. He tried to move. Yeah. And it was a cool move. Yeah. Didn't work, but it looked cool. And if mm-hmm. it had, it would have been amazing. Yeah. But it didn't work, and it created a turnover and an on-man rush the other way for Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't remember a team that would let that go in the Western Conference Final. Like, mm-hmm. maybe you lose in the first round, but you've got a a Nathan McKinnon type player, and you right. try something, and you go, all right, well, that's the price of doing business. Yeah. But in the Western Conference Final, I think it was Game One or Game Two. Like I don't, it seemed risky. And then there was a comment in Game Three, I think, um, or maybe it was Game Two. It must have been Game Two. Um, Tampa and Colorado were trading chances. It was back and forth, and the mm-hmm. commentary was, you know, the coaches might hate it, but the fans love it. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that to me is the big difference between how Colorado plays. And previous teams have played like, yeah, I see tons of play from them that I think the coaches probably do. Maybe not their coach, but coaches, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm using air quotes there, probably do hate. Mm -hmm. But maybe they have the right coach, right? Who who or the talent to pull it off. Yeah. Or both. Yeah. Yeah. Like, remember, there was a sequence with Cal McCarr where it was like, like he 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 went up ice and you thought, oh, maybe he's in a little too deep. 
but he has the speed to get back. Whereas no one else has that. Like right. he can, he can make the mistake and cover for himself. Um, and then you don't have to play defense if you just have the puck for the entire game. That's what I'm most excited to see is will teams watch how these two teams are playing? Well, mm-hmm. more Colorado yeah. and say, oh, well, let's do an 80% version of that because obviously nobody else you has. You can't just acquire those players right. Right, to, to make it happen. And a guy like Hale McCarr or McKinnon or on other teams, you know, like Connor McDavid on, on Edmonton, the third best center in the league, the gap between McDavid yeah. and him or, or between Kale McCarr and you know, the 60th best defenseman in the league mm-hmm. is significant. Right. <laughs> even, right. Even if their contracts might be similar mm-hmm. and their draft profile might be similar, you know, like yeah. what did McCargo fourth? Yeah. Just because somebody else went, you know, third in the draft mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this portion of this show, Zach. Uh, we'll be in touch. Obviously we'll hear from you from the draft. If anything happens trade wise for agent wise, you know, we'll get you back on here. Yep. And hopefully it does. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully it does. You know, it will in some way, right? The Kings have six draft picks. They can't trade them all or that's right. Not make them all. <laughs> yeah, something that's right. Yeah. Something will happen. We know they're looking to get better. So something will happen at some point. Yeah. We'll enjoy Montreal. I will. Yeah. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice, but you know, when we can't stand it, when we're tracking packages, Looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated, we call Bullship. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No Bullship, just great tracking. One, uh... Uh, probably won't be the last time we look back at the 2021-22 season, but another look back. Joining me now to do so, Daryl Evans. How are you doing today, Daryl? I'm great, Jess. How about yourself? I'm okay. Uh, we've just spent three weeks talking to Ed Egros about some analytics. We talked about expected goals, expected goals above say blah, blah. I'm not even going to – for whatever reason, my brain shuts off when the word expected leads <laughs> into uh, all those stats. But what I want to talk to you about, Daryl, is the eye test, the, the, the mood, the feel of the team because – I went ahead and I and I just got curious and I started looking back at at where some of the numbers compare to previous seasons because I had been telling myself that this season just completed was a decent season but not a great season. The way I looked at it was sort of like, okay, they had a pretty good year, some other teams fell off, they made the playoffs, they made a good push, but I wasn't like really excited about the season. Does that sound right-ish? Yeah, and in some in some ways, yes. Uh, in other ways, I think uh, you know you maybe you're not looking at the at the bright side of things. I don't think you're giving well, you know the Kings, yeah, maybe the Kings <laughs> enough credit for what they accomplished. You know, and I know there's a lot of people down the stretch saying that you know that that Vegas you know didn't perform to their level, but still at the end of the day, the Kings got 99 points. And I think that's what you have to look at. I don't care what everybody else does. When you go into the season, never before you know, has a team gotten 99 points and not made the playoffs. So uh, a credit to them for being able to get to that level. 
Uh, and they had to do it in, in a lot of different ways. They had a lot of injuries. Um, and, you know, you can talk about the schedule and other teams had injuries. They had COVID issues to deal with at time to time, but they found a way to do it. So I think that's where you really have to measure this year is, as the growth that they showed in that regard and getting contributions from different guys. I think there's a lot of areas that their game really did grow. And uh, there was maybe some areas that, you know, it, it fell off a little bit, but uh, I think most importantly, as opposed to the fall-off areas, I think you look at the areas of growth, and I think those definitely outweighed the other areas. So Jack Jablonski wrote a piece for LAKings.com, and he picked the 10 best games of the season. And this is what started me down this path. He asked me, he was, so what are the 10 best games? And off the top of my head, I was like, well, you know, there's come back against Columbus, and, you know, they beat Florida, you know, they beat Toronto. Like, there's some good games. And I thought, but realistically, 10 wins, because obviously you're not going to pick a loss in yep. the 10 best games. And I was like, I mean, they only won, like, what, 30-something, low 30s? And Jack was like, no, man, they're 44, 27, 11. I was like, 44 yep. wins? Yep. So I looked it up. It's the seventh most wins in franchise history. And, I mean, there's a couple lockout-shortened seasons in sure. there, so it's not, you know, and then there was 2004, 2005, but still, seventh best. And seventh best in, in total points, and I think it's seventh best in points percentage, too. Uh, eighth best, excuse me, in, in points percentage, and that does include the lockout-shortened seasons. And and I thought, I thought, all right, well, in 1999-2000, teams started getting points for going to overtime. They started, so I was like, yep. all right, so I'll throw out the first – whatever, 30 years of the franchise. But even still, it's the fifth best season since 99-2000. This team was way better than I thought it was. It really is. I think, you know, when you look at it, um, you know, statistically, I think that number, that 99 number, really does speak volumes because that uh, shows, you know, it's a – uh, the common denominator of what what they accomplished through the course of the year, and, and they didn't do that by mistake. It was, you know, they got off to a shaky start at the beginning of the year. They battled through that. Uh, another hiccup, you know, around the holidays, and you know, just keep kept continuing to keep moving forward. And you know, again, you consider you played half the season without Drew Doughty. Uh, you know, Edler was out at the early part of the year. We saw Roy Walker. Uh, you know, their their blue line was banged up, and you know, not only did they find a way to get the job done, but I think moving things forward for the next couple of years, they've got a really good or a lot better feel of maybe what the future looks at looks like and being able to have a look at some of these young players and the way they performed, not only in the regular season, but the playoff experience they gained as well. Fifth most goals for per game by the Kings since 1999. Like five on five, this team was just, you know, the, the rhetoric we kept hearing all year long was we can play with any team in the league. We can beat any team, but like five on five, they actually did. It's, it's, which, makes the struggles on the special teams so frustrating. And yet, here's a detail that I found that uh, that really blew my mind. This year, the power play, for all of the grief it got, was better than the power play in 2013-14, <laughs> the year that they won the Stanley Cup and had <laughs> however many points it was. I mean, like... Yeah, you know, I think when you look at five-on-five five play, um, I think that tells you a little bit about the depth of the team now. King's got probably their most production out of, that they've gotten out of a, you know, a second line. And I'll just say second line, uh, being that being mm-hmm. Deneau's unit. Uh, and then the third and fourth lines, the contribution that they got down there, you look at Lazat, Lemieux, uh, you know, all these guys that were contributing in the bottom part of the lineup. So the Kings definitely improved in that area, which allowed them to play at a greater pace. 
I think the big fall off on the special teams and both on the power play and the penalty kill is the lack of experience on the blue line. When you look at the Kings power play unit without Doughty and Roy, pardon me, without Doughty and Walker out there on the power play, the Kings really didn't have a legit number one power play quarterback. He used a lot of different guys and a credit to Jersey came in and filled in admirably, did a great job, but doesn't get the respect from the rest of the league that Dowdy would get or even Walker would get from that respect. And the same thing goes on a penalty kill. So they they played to their strengths, and it was going to be five-on-five five where the majority of the game was played, and that's where they got the job done. Now, you can imagine you put in a power play that moves himself up five, seven spots in the standings, even in just to the, you know, the, the top half. You know, this team, you know, who knows where they're going to finish in the standings. Uh, the penalty kill, I think, started to show some growth at the end. I think the goaltending really, uh, you know, it really uh, stabilized as well. Uh, and, you know, from the goaltending standpoint, when you're looking at a lot of young, different guys on the blue line on the penalty kill, it's tough because so much is trust in each other, where, you have, where you've got coverage, where you don't have coverage. So there, it took a while for those guys to be able to build that trust, uh, you know, with Quick and Peterson. Uh, and then the young defense that they had, and a lot of interchangeable pieces back there. Look at how many different guys played the blue line, how many different guys were on the penalty kill. So uh, there, there was a lot that went on there. But I thought that started to stabilize towards the end. The power play, um, you know, you know, you talk about the amount of offense they created, and that was really without their top line performing at the levels that has performed in the past. Be it that you know Kempe sets a career high with the goals that he scored, but if you look at the other two positions in Kopitar and on the left side, whoever was on that side, they didn't come up with the numbers that they would normally come up with. So, I think uh, I think it's a it's a bright spot, you know, moving forward that the Kings found a way and. Now they need to, you know, solidify, keep moving on that, and uh, you know, again, that re- that top line will, you know, reestablish himself on the score sheet, and most notably, it'll probably come via the power play. Now you played, you coached, you've been a broadcaster, and you've been tremendously successful in the world of business outside of hockey. <laughs> so, without getting into what happens on the ice, with the shift of Marco Sturm to head coach of the Ontario Reign, they'll bring in a new assistant coach. But for the most part, I feel like this, the internal structure of this organization is set, at least for the short-term future. From your perspective, again, having played, having coached, having been a broadcaster, seeing the other things, and also building structure outside of the world of hockey. What are the Kings doing? You know, we hear, heard all season long about structure and the intercommunication between Ontario and L.A. and what a role play. Like, what do you see that goes so right when you're around? Because you're, you know, I see you all the time. I bump into you in the office and at the rink. And- well, I think the message is consistent from the top all the way through. And I think because of the, you know, basic open door policy that they have like when these young kids come and you know we'll see it happen in the next couple of weeks when there's another development camp and really the first true development camp in the last few years Mm -hmm. you know these young guys are going to come in here some be at 17 18 19 20 years of age they're going to be introduced to everybody in the organization and they're going to be they're going to feel comfortable whether you're one locker room that's you know 50 feet away or you're in the big room and you know in the king's room Um, the training staff on both sides communicate well they embrace you. They get you anything you want. Each player that comes through the door, that you know, the minute they're drafted or invited to a camp, you're treated like a king. Whether you're a superstar or a guy no who's pun been here, there, yeah, right? like, yeah, no <laughs> pun intended. Whether you've been, you know, you've been here for ten years or you've been here for ten minutes, 
you know, they do their best to create an environment that you can succeed in. Um, you know, and that's something that has changed drastically, not only with the Kings, but every other franchise, you know, in the league. And that's why these young players, I think, are able to come in and succeed at a young age because of the uh, the environment and the comfort that they have coming in. Um, you know, so when, when something like this comes about, if there's a change in, in coaching staff, I don't think it's going to be any different than what we saw last year when all the players were interchangeable. The foundation, the blueprint is there, and that blueprint is established from the top. And there's, you know, let's just say there's 100 interchangeable pieces there. So if you pull out one, two, three, or four pieces, you've still got 96 pieces that are, that are still going upon that plan. So what they do is they bring it and they put a platform out there for the people that come into whoever fills into those positions to be able to come into something that's going to work for them. Uh, everything is real clear. It's you know you don't all of a sudden come to a game and we need you to do this tonight. You're capable of doing. It. They wouldn't put you in a position that you're not capable of fulfilling. So uh, I think the communication part has been great, and the development staff you know right from the get go from you know when they meet the guys at the draft and they come here to go through the first development camp, uh, the connection that they stay keep you know whether it's a phone conversation, text messages. They come in town, you know, a few times through the course of the year. They're working with these young kids, whether they're in Ontario or with the Kings, and it just keeps them, you know, keeps them bonded. So it's uh, they're they're part of the project one right from day one, and that's why when they do get a chance to play, I think uh, the chance of success is greater. Well, let's get you out of here on this one, and there may not be an answer for it. Oh, something that I often think about. Um, one of the things that I've had to learn, and that I am constantly trying to remind myself in my adult life is that while what happens to me might not be a choice, how I react to it is. What role do the players have in crafting their own career? Because a guy could come in, you know, let's take a guy, last name on the invite list to development camp, didn't get drafted, doesn't have a contract, nobody knows who he is. But like you said, he comes in, he gets introduced, he gets ice time, he's out there. How much of a role does a player really have in grasping that opportunity and going from an invitee to a rookie camp invitee to maybe getting an entry level contract? I think a lot. I think a lot of it has to do in with regard in, in the uh, possession of the player. Um, you know, be it you know you could be a first round pick or a second round pick, but I think from a player standpoint, all you're looking for is an opportunity. You want to get on that stage. It's nice to be drafted. It gives you maybe a little bit longer of a look or maybe the eye's a little more serious on you. But you have to have trust and faith in what you're capable of doing. And if you do that, and a couple of young guys that stand out on our team that maybe weren't projected to be where they are right now, and guys like Blake Lazat, Trevor Moore, these guys have had some incredible years this past year because they've got an opportunity and just – you know, the relentless effort that they put forth, they come forth and they continuously want to prove themselves out there. So again, it, 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 it becomes the responsibility of the player to take advantage of it, whatever it is. And if it means sometimes going down to Ontario, you go to Ontario. And sometimes, you know, you come here like, you know, maybe a young kid that gets drafted in a position, you go, well, I, I can't make that team. They've got seven guys in that position. Well, you just never know. You never know what's going to happen through a trade. And even though you are a member of the Kings, you're still a member of Big Picture, and that's the NHL, the American Hockey League, and there's so many jobs out there. The fit might not be here for the Kings, and that's something that's out of your control. Again, maybe the, you know those seven players in that position, you know, four of them excel, and you know your window closes with that team. But if you're doing what the Kings expected you to do, there's just not a hole there. There's going to be a hole somewhere in the league for you. 
So it's you have to look at the big picture, and that's a way to you know to get to get yourself into the league and and establish yourself. And then imagine once you do get there, then it's got to stay in there because you know that that effort that you put forth to get to the level where you're at. You've got a thousand kids right behind you trying to do the same thing. So there's a little bit of an ulterior motive in asking that question because there are some players that will be leaving the organization, as there yep. are every year. And one of them, I saw it said of him already, oh, he didn't get a fair chance. And I thought, well, Derek Armstrong mentioned on a telecast early this season that that something that gets left out of conversations amongst fans and, and observers because you don't ever think about it is – How's the guy on the bus? How's the guy in the locker room? How's the guy yep. at the team yep. meetings? Like, and I and I just wanted to say, like, yeah, there has to be so much more that goes into evaluating players than the ten minutes of ice time they might get on a Tuesday night against Columbus. And that's a hundred percent true. I mean, there are guys that are exceptional in practice, exceptional in the locker room, uh, on the flights. Uh, somebody that's lifting everybody up, somebody that is a voice, uh, somebody that's maybe you know an ear for somebody to be able to speak to one of their teammates. I'm going to jump in here yep. real quick and remind everybody that Davis Drewiski and Kevin Westgarth didn't play a minute in the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2012, but the team petitioned the league to include their names on the Stanley Cup. And why do they do that? Presumably because of what you're talking the, about. The quality of right. the people that they are. And, and, and that's where it's such a team effort. Um, you know, everybody always looks at the superstars and, you know, all the power to those guys. I mean, those are guys that are, you know, those are what the people are, you know, coming to watch. But when it comes down to winning and winning championships and things like that, the guys that play the important roles are most appreciated and respected by their teammates and the peers on the ice. The guys that you play against in, you know, in that Stanley Cup final, you might not find your way to the score sheet, but they know that every shift you are a menace to play against or the energy that you brought. And it might only be even a warm-up, too. You know, it might be a guy going out and making a big hit somewhere or blocking a shot at some particular time. It's not that fancy play. Again, it's the things that are appreciated and respected most by the, the players themselves, your teammates, the opposition that you play against. And when you're getting accolades from the opposing teams that you're playing against, their players and their coaches, then you know you're making you're making some noise out there, and that makes you a great teammate. What's the equivalent of a block shot in an office setting? Like, <laughs> what, can I, what can I? Is it bringing the donuts? Well, to the no, office? no. But, but again, you know, it's it's coming in there. Like you know, even even in the office, you know, like you, yourself, Jess. You know, I come in here. and you know, you can see some of the salespeople, you know, they get caught up in a loss and they get frustrated, you know, because now they got to get on the phone and, you know, and, and talk to some fans and with regards and you want to keep their spirits up, you keep them spirits up and, you know, there's different things that you can share and I can share with them because of the interviews that we do with the players and, you know, the, the stuff that when we have the coaches and, you know, and all our, uh, um, you know, conversations that we have with regards to those things, the scrums and that, and we can share that with them. And what that does is it boosts them. So there are a lot of little things. The way you carry yourself, you know, again, you got to keep your, you know, your chin up. You got to smile, and you can't control what happened behind you. It's how you react and how you apply it moving forward. And we all got a chance to do that. I had a boss one time tell me she, I knew that she had had a terrible, like yeah. just a really like, without getting into the details, her personal life had. Yep. totally out of her like bad things happened and she was awesome through all of it and i said to her after a week or two like how are you doing this like i i would be absolutely destroyed by it and she yep. said she said it's not i can't remember how she phrased it but the gist of it was part of her responsibility was to not inflict yep. what she had gone through on everybody around her and i was like i like that so. yeah and that's and that's where being part of a team and i mean even you know there's only 23 players on an active roster but 
the team that is put together, and that goes to people that are opening the doors in the stadium, the practice facility, cleaning the facility, cleaning the ice, ushers, people serving the concessions, parking lot of tennis, all, you're all part of that team. And it's a domino effect because if the pieces start to fall apart and are going the wrong way, it's going to affect everybody at the end of the day. But when it's a perfect storm and it's all going well, everybody's doing their little part. And let's face it, everybody doesn't have a perfect day every day. But there's going to be somebody in that office when you walk in there that's either going to perk you up and you're going to need it. You need it every day. And the more that you can absorb, keep it to yourself. There's a place to release it and a way to release it. But you don't want to come in and mope. Again, you know, why worry about what happened yesterday? Tomorrow and today is a different day. And those are the only things that you can control and, and you can work at. And, and I think once that happens a couple of times, it's that one step forward, to, or pardon me, one step backwards, two steps forwards, then you go there. Oh, yeah, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And there always is. You know, you, and you, ha you have to look at the bright spot of things. Things happen for a reason, but it's what you learn and how do you apply it moving forward. Real final question. It's two to one Colorado that they were recording this. Who do you got? Well, I think the winner of game four wins the series. Oh, wow. All right. Yep. That's my call. You heard it here. For, <laughs> game four will be over by the time you hear this, so uh, we'll, we'll hold you to it. Daryl <laughs> Evans, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Jess. Great catching up with you.